0: Welcome to psych for Psychology, a room and Associates podcast. Our hosts, Michelle Iverson and Brett Cushing, are both licensed marriage and family therapists at room and Associates. Each week, they talk about all things mental health and therapy, and you get a chance to dive into specific psychology topics that help promote personal development and wellness. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Brett. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Psyched for Psychology. Today, in the recording studio. It is me, Michelle. I'm on my own today. Uh, Brett is on vacation this week, uh, but we are still bringing you our weekly episode. And so let's wish Brett really good on his wonderful vacation. And he will be back in the recording studio next week. So in order to uh, be able to get to talk about whatever I kind of want to talk about for today, (laughs) although I know Brett will be really interested in this episode too, uh, I want to come up with something for the New Year's. I know that this episode is going to first air after the first of the year, but I wanted to take some time to share with all of you uh, some of my thoughts um, on New Year's resolutions. In particular, this is from the perspective of a therapist and in particular, uh, my background in working um, with a lot of clients struggling with eating disorders and also struggles with not having a great relationship with food, eating, even exercise in general. And so in having that kind of background and knowledge You can probably imagine New Year's resolutions and what do I do about that tends to come up a lot. And I like to talk with clients about encouraging everyone, really, uh, not just clients, but everyone to come up with your anti-New Year's resolutions instead. So first of all, why would we do that? Uh, A lot of people might even ask, what's even the problem with New Year's resolutions in the first place? Well, the way I think about it is this. The idea around New Year's resolutions, technically, it's good. Um, Humans have been doing it throughout history. Um, Medieval knights at Christmas would take that time to essentially recommit to their knighthood for the new year. Babylonians would pledge to pay off their debts in the new year And even Romans would make resolutions to their God in the month of January. Um, Fun fact, that God was named Janus. The month January was named after him. So psychologically, it makes sense. We've done it for a long time. Um, Every culture seems to kind of essentially have their own version of it. Uh, It is uplifting to feel as though you get to have a new clean slate, uh, the new year, new me mentality, a chance to write or rewrite a brand new chapter in your life that feels good. And as a therapist, like I can get behind all that. But I think that there is a real risk to this and I see it time and time again and it's a little, little hidden and almost insidious as well. And that's that most of these modern day resolutions we tend to make this time of year fail. Here's some statistics. Almost 40% of U.S. adults end up setting a resolution at the start of the new year. Biggest demographic of people doing this is young adults. Their top three goals. That tend to be set. The first one almost 48% of people that are setting a goal are setting this one exercise more. The next two, eat healthier, lose weight. I think that is really important to note. I'm also gonna note that things like donate to charity are one of the lowest ranking goals that tend to be set. More facts only 9% of those people end up reporting achieving success in that goal later in the year. That is a fail rate of 91%. Only about uh, a quarter, or actually about 25%, yes, actually report to have quit that January 1st goal before the end of the first week of January. 25% by the end of the first week. And more than 80% will quit that goal before the end of February. So already that is a little shocking if you've never heard those statistics before. But what's more shocking to me, notice the words I keep saying and I keep coming back to. Quit. Fail. Now, These statistics would surprise anybody. And the first thing people are going to go to is, well, why are we failing? Shouldn't we be succeeding more at this? And then we get all these articles and people trying to tell us and explain to us why we fail. And this advice, when you search it, it is not, there's a reason for this. It's often coming from dieting, weight loss, and exercise industries. For example, in researching my statistics for the episode, first thing I get is I get all of these articles of people trying to say that, you know, here's the statistics that we fail at this. And here's why you, important to note, you fail at this. And here's what you need to do to change that. But all of those articles are also being written and coming from people who are specifically trying to sell you a weight loss or dieting or exercise product, right? Um, I'm going to listen to an account executive from like a popular uh, device-wearing app. I could, um, but at the same time, there's a reason why they're trying to kind of get you to buy into that language. For me, I'm not a fan of that. They're not therapists, um, but they are going to try to tell you, you lacked willpower. They're going to try and say, You didn't try the right plan, AKA their diet plan, which they will very gladly take your money for. They'll say things like, Oh, you know, you weren't really ready. You weren't really wanting to meet that goal, or you weren't prioritizing it enough. So they end up recommending changes that, you know, psychologically make sense. Set smaller goals, track your progress, find your internal motivation. But it always comes associated with and use our diet plan, use our app, use our tracking device and so forth. So here's what I see is the real problem. We have been trained to think that this is what resolutions for the new year should be about weight loss and dieting wrapped in a halo effect of this is what is best for my health. Now, while some of these goals might technically be something that somebody might need for medical or nutritional reasons, the resolutions are being designed in a way where it's a pass-fail test, not only because the resolutions themselves tend to be very black and white, but also because they are rooted in toxic diet culture. Now, if you're new listening to our podcast and you are curious about what I mean by toxic diet culture, please feel free to reference our previous episode, um, one that I did on talking about toxic diet culture, its relation to eating disorders. Please feel free to check out. Um, we will go into more, much more detail on that in that episode. So we want to think about how now we're going back to talking about diet toxic diet culture, how that is um, rooted, related now to our resolutions. Also, that idea of, again, pass, fail. Again, those words I was using, quit, fail. I kind of cringe every single time I use a word. And here's why I cringe. In cognitive behavioral therapy, we talk about something called cognitive distortions. These are unhelpful thoughts uh, that pretty much everybody experiences at one point or another. They're negative thoughts. Sometimes they're even irrational thoughts. They don't make sense. And one of the most common categories of distortions that people experience is called black-white thinking or or all-or-nothing thinking. This is where you think in absolutes. You use the words or you think the words always. Never, every, I never do a good enough job on anything. How often do you think that thought comes up when we fail to meet our resolution goals? It also happens when we're really struggling with perfectionism thoughts, which is another podcast episode that we also did on and the dangers in pursuing perfection, And really, these types of common New Year's resolutions, it's just another form of perfectionism wrapped in toxic diet culture. So, going back to you will hear advice that you didn't meet that goal because you set it too high. You didn't take baby steps. You shouldn't set a goal of running a marathon this year. Instead, you should just set a baby step to just, you know, just run half a mile a day. But what if you hate running? What if you you have an obsessive and maybe even an unhealthy mindset towards exercise in general? What if you were only wanting to run a marathon because you felt like it's what you, quote, should do, in order to meet any sort of perfectionism or diet culture standards, that is not good for us. And I also want to take a moment too to just kind of clarify one point. I don't want anyone to walk away from this episode thinking that this means that setting goals throughout the year around my health and well-being is automatically a bad thing. But I need to note that unfortunately just the the terms health healthy wellness even the term anti-diets have all been taken used and distorted by proponents of the diet industry we've kind of reached a point where it can be really really hard to know whether something truly is what I might need for my own individual medical health and well-being, or potentially diet culture rules, or even disordered behaviors and thoughts around food, eating, and exercise that can put us at a potential risk for an eating disorder. I'm a therapist that works in this field and works with this background. I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm not a medical doctor. So I like to refer very often, and you will hear this in the previous podcast episode too, on toxic diet culture. Um, There's an author, Christy Harrison. She is a registered dietitian. She wrote a wonderful book that I will recommend. I recommended it last time. I'm going to recommend it again called Anti-Diet. And she describes why she is an anti-diet dietitian. <laughs> and she likes to discuss that, you know, when she's talking with clients about food and eating, she, she discusses that it's medical nutrition therapy that she does. Uh, she uses a program called the Hayes Program. It's called Health at Every Size, H-A-E-S. As that these are options for helping somebody with their nutrition because they have a medical condition that might need to be managed, but there's no diet culture that is a part of that, and it does not belong there. And that, that any kind of diet culture goal or even the work that she might do as a dietitian, that should not be a New Year's resolution. So if we are working on... A resolution or even goals throughout the year, how would we know if our goal might be rooted in toxic diet culture? Again, I'm going to refer to Christy on this one because she's got some really, really great points, things to think about about your goal and whether it might be set for the wrong reason because of diet culture. And she says it'd be things like this: if you have a goal that ultimately worships thinness and equates being thin to health and moral virtue. I'm a good person if I'm thin. It means that you would spend your whole life thinking you're irreparably broken just because you don't look like an impossibly thin ideal. If your goal promotes weight loss as a means of attaining a higher status, which is just going to make you feel compelled to spend so much time, energy, and money trying to shrink your body, even though research is very clear that almost no one can sustain intentional weight loss for more than a few years. If your goal demonizes certain foods while elevating others, It would cause you to be forced to be hypervigilant about your eating, ashamed of the food choices that you make, and distracted from things that are important, like your pleasure, your purpose, and your power. And if your goals ultimately might oppress people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health, it might create internalized stigma and shame. Um, Or other people might even also experience stigma, discrimination, because we all feel like we don't meet toxic diet culture's impossible standards. So, what if? What if we changed our ideas on what resolutions we do each year? I personally, I still like the idea of a fresh start but I don't like the toxic diet culture that tends to come with it. And I don't like this pass-fail exam. We give ourselves just to, stats show, inevitably fail. At the core of resolutions, we just wanna feel better about ourselves. Why don't we do things and set goals that actually help with our self-esteem Rather than attempt to blame ourselves with not meeting goals that don't actually help us with that in the first place, Um, I'm going to do one more plug because we've got actually another episode that we did all about self esteem. So also check that one out if you haven't yet. Can I give you some examples of setting a personal goal that isn't tied to diet culture? I would love to. Here's one. I would like to move my body in a way that makes me feel good and proud for 10 minutes a day. It could be dancing to my favorite song, stretching, uh, taking the stairs, walking in nature. And I won't feel bad if I don't do it one day. With this goal, every day is a new fresh start. It's not just one day a year when I get my fresh start. How about this one? I will plan and do something this year that will make me feel proud of myself. That does not include eating or my body. I'll take small steps in that direction and strengthen my self-esteem and self-worth in a way that is separate from whatever I eat or whatever my weight is. Here's another, I will take time to reduce my stress by doing meditation or deep breathing. And I'm going to congratulate myself for showing my body and my mind this kindness. Another one, I will identify one thing I can do each day that brings me closer to what I value, like committing to calling a loved one, because I really value being a person who reaches out to people that I care about. How about some other types of goals? Remember when I said donating to charity was like one of the lowest ranked goals that people set? How much more would that maybe help self-esteem if we had a realistic and attainable goal around helping others? What if we had goals, resolutions, such as doing a small act of kindness towards another person each and every day? And again, allowing yourself grace, compassion, if you didn't quite meet that that day, but knowing you didn't fail at the goal either, this is we're challenging the all or nothing thinking. You did not fail at that goal because you did spread joy and positivity to others on the days you were able to do it. How about what if I'm struggling with depression and being able to do that for others is maybe more than what I feel like I can do in terms of my capacity. That's okay too. If you still wanted to set a goal and set a resolution, why not setting ones on taking care of myself? It could even be things like just working on taking my medication every day. And again, compassion, kindness to myself, even if I forget or even to do one thing, one small step, like making and attending one therapy appointment. I see all of these as being these anti-New Year's resolutions because there is no pass-fail. This is not an exam. And you are helping yourself or helping others without the need for diet culture. This particular episode... And it's going to air on January 3rd. And I want you to know that you have my permission to not only forgive yourself, but feel free to not care if you already broke a resolution. In particular, if it was a diet culture resolution, I say, let's break more of them. And I will work to help all of you with that as well, too. And that will be my New Year's resolution to you all. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. Uh, Brett will be in next week. We hope that you all had wonderful holidays, uh, no matter how you spent them. And we thank you so much for listening and joining us as we all go into a brand new year. Happy 2023, everyone. We will talk with you soon. Thank you, as always, for listening, and please be sure to leave us a review. While this podcast can't be a replacement for therapy, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today and join us again next time. Room & Associates is always available to those who are struggling. If you find yourself in need of support and help, please check us out at niceroomcounseling.com.